Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd in all week with Jason Bruff. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Get your thoughts in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We're going to be joined momentarily here by Mike Tannier from Football Outsiders. Chat a little NFL as the ramp up to the regular season continues. And we have Mike on the line now. Mike, thanks very much for chatting with us. As always, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to another exciting Weekend of preseason action. Yeah, doesn't get better than that. Huh? We're gonna we're gonna learn so much about all of these teams from a, from another week of preseason action, right? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Tonight's game, I know it's a big one out there with Seattle playing. I'm going to a Santana concert tonight. I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm, going I'm going AWOL. Hey, you know what? The replay will be on NFL Plus yep. tomorrow. It'll glitch 500 times, but I'll see it and I'll know everything that happened by uh, tomorrow at like 10 a.m. Well, Drew, look. there we go. Okay. Whoa, glitch. Yeah. <laughs> NFL Plus just loaded. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Drew Locke isn't even playing anyway, and that was the thing that people were kind of curious about. Not curious in an mm-hmm. excited way, curious in kind of a scared slash excited way, I guess, to see yeah, Drew Locke start. In the Alice in Wonderland down the rabbit hole uh, kind of way. But, yeah, you know, Drew Locke showed some positive things, and he made sure he put the cherry on top by fumbling in the fourth quarter to, to remind you that he's still Drew Locke. And I think we've seen, we know what Geno Smith is at this point, and you kind of know what the peak is, and you kind of know what the trough is with Geno. It would have been interesting to see Drew Locke, but to no avail. Do you think the Seahawks are starting to build something, though, as far as the, the players that they've drafted on defense and on on the offensive line? You know, We were talking about how they built their Super Bowl champion team and Russell Wilson was actually one of the last pieces like they had they had they had drafted and developed a a pretty good defense and and um and then Russell Wilson kind of comes out of nowhere I know they drafted him but he wasn't expected to be their starter after they drafted him do you think that's possible is that a possible scenario for the Seahawks considering the quarterback draft class in 2023 I'll go with possible you know, if, you're going, if we're going to land on possible, yes. I mean, Charles Cross flashed, uh, Lucas flashed on the offensive line. That's two rays of hope on the offensive line right there. Mape certainly got a couple of sacks, and that was impressive. It, it's a ways to go, and I feel like the team is a little bit still betwixt and between, where this is the start. This is sort of like still the house cleaning, I think, a little bit from the last era. And, you know, if you're saying that this might be the start of the start of the turnaround, yeah, I, there, there's enough there that I saw last week. But, man, there is a ways to go. You start with the quarterback issue. But I, I think it's it's more than just, hey, first preseason game, at least the rookie class looks good. That's that's definitely the case. The rookie class looks good. There is something funny about it to me, Mike, because, you know, obviously they had the incredible draft classes early, uh, you know, with Russell Wilson and to build that Super Bowl team. But between now and then, there's been some very curious draft classes and some very curious draft picks with the Seahawks, and then they get rid of Russell Wilson, then all of a sudden look, everyone's looking at this draft class and saying, wow, they've really got something here. It's kind of, It kind of leaves me thinking, why couldn't you do that when you still had the franchise quarterback turn in some of those drafts? Then he might still be here, and you might still be a competitor. I think when the Seahawks were on top, they got obsessed with this trying to outsmart the system drafting logic. Like, we're going to cut, you know, we don't have to draft for need, so we're going to take this reach and this project and this athlete who might have upside – 
and they kept doing it. It got weirder and weirder. You kept, you know, the punters kept coming in and the, you know, running backs that you didn't need kept coming in and they kept doing that. And I think when the reality set in, it's like, no, Russell Wilson's gone. Now Bobby Wagner's leaving too. And it's over. Hey, let's draft the way we're supposed to. Let's get offensive linemen. You know, let's get the players we wanted. And you get a reset of, oh, yeah, when you have the draft capital and you have a, a pretty good front office with a, you know, that had a good track record, you can bring in guys who can help right away and show promise right away. Mike, who's the most improved team this year? Oh, that is, that is difficult to say. You know, one team that's on my radar uh, is the New Orleans Saints. Now, it's hard to say most improved. I believe they were a playoff team last year. Or they were just locked out of the playoffs. I it completely slipped my mind. But when you look at, by the end of last season, it was you know, Ian Book and Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill at quarterback, and I can't even name the wide receivers. Um, and they were kind of getting by on the fact that their defense was good and the Panthers were terrible, and that's who they played twice a year, et cetera, and the Falcons. Now you've got this team that looks like Jameis is going to be healthy. Michael Thomas is back. Uh, and he looks like himself in practice. Jarvis Landry is there. Tyron Matthews there. And you look at this team, like this is a team that, uh, you know, I think they spent too much money. I think they, they're a little bit older than they should be to be a contender. But if you want to talk about improvement, getting better by a leap, that's one team. I would also say Jacksonville Jaguars, probably another one, because they're, they're going from sort of like a reality TV show, like a, keeping up with the Urban Myers type TV show to a, being a professional team this year. And that's going to pay dividends for them. What do you think about the drama in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers calling out his young receivers and then having a meeting with his young receivers? Is this just holding his young receivers to a high standard and that's a good thing? Or is this Aaron Rodgers uh, scaring? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Or is it, or is it a bad thing? Like that, that's my follow-up. I think you just end the sentence, or is this Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> or is this just Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of both. I think any veteran quarterback would look at those receivers and say, this is a potential problem. The difference being is that Tom Brady, when he had, when he had weak receiving cores late in his career, kind of kept it quiet under the, under the lid. When Drew Brees had Michael Thomas and nobody else, and that's kind of what it was the last two or three seasons, Brees, Kamara, and Prayers, he kept it in the lid. Aaron Rodgers needs to signal to everyone how displeased he is. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the trip tea, whatever he was taking, you know, the, the captain trips miracle tea has worn off here, and he's realized that it's a couple of rookies and, you know, Sammy Watkins, who's always in and out of the lineup, et cetera. So the drama never impacts the Packers on the field until the playoffs come and they lose in the first round. So until then, I would say there's not much to worry about. I think they have taken a step back because they don't have Devontae Adams anymore and they replace him with these rookies. But it's not like I expect this team to like go overboard and start you know, losing games because they're fractured, because they've been fractured for years. It's Aaron Rodgers against everybody else, but Aaron Rodgers is awesome, so everybody kind of just deals with it and marches to the playoffs. It seems like a bit of an odd marriage at this point. I mean, a bit might be an understatement there because, you know, there were so many rumors that he was going to leave, right? So, so much speculation. He stays, and it's almost as if Green Bay... I don't want to say going out of their way, but they trade away Devontae Adams. So now they, they're not giving him the weapons, and we all know the history of them not drafting receivers. He's not happy he's there. It seems like nobody is really particularly pleased with the situation there in Green Bay. 
it's a bunch of odd marriages. It's just, it's like Liz Taylor back in the day, or I don't know who, who had like a Kardashian. I'm going back to that. Who has like a weird marriage followed by a weird marriage. That's what it is. It's this weird denial thing where, oh, you want a number one receiver? Oh, we're going to trade your number one receiver. Oh, we have two first round picks. We're not going to take a receiver. I know Packers fans were like, hey, none of the good receivers are left. That was their big thing. And, you know, George Pickens is running around for the Steelers, you know, catching 15 touchdowns a day in training camp and then another one in the, in the preseason game. So it's weird. It has been how they do it for years. So I usually, you know, I do the joke about it. And then I look at it and say, well, as long as Aaron Rodgers is there, offensive line looks like it's been built back up, defense is solid, he's going to get enough out of these receivers that this team is going to win, I don't know, 11 games, 12 games. The question then comes, are we going to be serious about the Packers as a Super Bowl team? And you kind of have to be because there's not a lot of Super Bowl contenders in the NFC. But I have no reason to think that this is the year they get over the hump that they created for themselves in past years. Hey, Mike, can I ask you to power rank the AFC West with the Raiders, Broncos, Chargers, and Chiefs? Uh, Of course, the Broncos now have Russell Wilson, who hasn't played yet. He didn't play in the Broncos' first exhibition game. I believe they play the Bills on Saturday, and I guess Mm -hmm. he'd make his debut then. I don't know what the plan is there. I'm hearing the Bills plan to play many of their starters, which sounds to me like you're not going to see Josh Allen or Stephon Diggs, but you'll see the starting line. That's, that's how I interpret the Bills. I have heard nothing out of Denver, and they've got a new coach there who probably likes to keep it both close to the vest. So I'm just pulling these power rankings from the Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 that you can purchase at Amazon or on footballoutsiders.com. Just grabbing our official company line here. We've got the Chargers number one overall, should have an improved defense, have a very good offense. We all know Justin Herbert. We have the Kansas City Chiefs in at number two. Uh, again, this is a team that's probably gotten a little bit better on offense, taking a step back on, uh, excuse me, a little better on defense, taking a step back on offense. Mm-hmm. Right behind them, right behind the Chiefs, neck and neck, we have the Broncos. Again, we think their offense is going to be very good. Defense, a little like the Chiefs, might not be as good as advertised. And then we have the Las Vegas Raiders pulling up the rear, but still as a quality team, not like one of these terrible last-place teams. We know they brought in Devontae Adams. We know they brought in Chandler Jones. They also don't have any like first- or second-round picks from the last three or four years because they've all were either wasted picks or are incarcerated or something terrible happened to them there. Right. So that's a rebuilding team that has front-line talent on the top, and that's why they're in fourth place. Is that confirmed the best division in the NFL? I think top to bottom it is the best division in the NFL. And what you're going to get, of course, is a bunch of really good teams going, you know, beating each other, you know, going two and two and three and one in the division. And that could be an opportunity, not just for the Buffalo Bills, uh, but for a team like, say, the Tennessee Titans, if they put themselves together and say, oh, we got these gimme wins. And nobody in the AFC West necessarily has a gimme win. What about the NFC West? I'm not going to ask you to do every division here because I want people Mm -hmm. to buy the product as well. Uh, but you got the, you got the Seahawks and I imagine they're going to be fourth. You got the Rams. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they didn't win the Super Bowl, so I feel like they could go in first. Uh, yeah. the, the really interesting teams to be honest for me in that division are the 49ers and the Cardinals. Cause I don't know what to think of them. Yeah. You know what? We have the Cardinals as having the toughest schedule in the NFL. And, you know, I don't have that in front of me, all of their games right now. But, of course, they've got to play the 49ers twice and the Rams twice. It kind of starts with that. So I guess it's the rest of their schedule. I don't have it in front of me. And because of that, we're very, we're really fading on the Cardinals right now. We have them as like a seven-win team at Football Outsiders Almanac. 49ers are a little different. And, you know, one of the 
uh, uh, things that I, one of the terms I use is the yak and sacks team. Like these are the teams, not yakety sacks, not Benny Hill, but you're going to get yard, you're going to get yards after the catch from your receivers. So even if your quarterback's not great, you're going to get production and you're going to get sacks from your defense. You know, the Steelers, they're kind of like that yak and sacks. The 49ers, of course, uh, made the playoffs for a couple times. They made the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with yards after the catch and sacks. Trey Lance comes in for Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not like we have a projection for Trey Lance. He's going to be Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen this year. But if he comes in and is Garoppolo who scrambles, Garoppolo who throws a bomb once in a while that's completed, this is a team that's going to be very, very strong because they're still going to have Debo. They're still going to have the system. They're still going to have the defense. And they should rise up and be a good challenger for the Rams for first place. Uh, on the Cardinals, Mike, you know, speaking of – odd marriages between quarterback and team at this point it's looking that way with Kyler Murray I know he signs the big extension we all know about the homework clause and all that and Mm -hmm. and then Cliff Kingsbury is saying oh yeah I'm gonna get him to call plays so he can see how hard it is and the interesting thing with Kingsbury is you know it's not as if there's been this incredible record of success since he's been in Arizona but they seem pretty committed to him and from the outside looking in as much as they sign him to the big deal it does feel like if things don't go particularly well this year for the Cardinals, that something has got to give, whether it's the coach or the quarterback or or maybe even higher up the ladder there in Arizona. If the Cardinals were the Cowboys, that's all anyone would talk about. Okay, if they had this big national fan base like the Cowboys and America's team, and you know all you know all the East Coast hated them, we'd be talking about the drama and the soap opera and the circus there all the time. Where Marquise Brown's driving 140 miles, and assistant coaches are getting in trouble, and Kingsbury's doing this goofy stuff. They're out in the desert by themselves; everyone lets them be. But it this is one of those things where they throw money at the problem. You're right. The the level of the relationship between Kime and the GM and Kingsbury never sounded like it was phenomenal. They both get a big extension. That's going to solve the problem. Then you've got all this weirdness with Kyle Murray. Here's, here's a couple hundred million dollars. That's going to solve the problem. Oh, by the way, we want to treat you like a middle schooler who has to, like, you know, uh, stay eligible for sports. And also, oh, by the way, we're going to, like, publicly criticize you about play calling and stuff. It is a weird combination there. And that, that works in the background. You know, when Football Outsiders does projections, we don't put in, hey, the coach is a weenie. Hey, the GM's a tool. We don't do stuff like that. But it, but it, it, it filters into the statistics and it filters into the team where you have this team that always fails in December, where if they lose a receiver, all of a sudden their offense is not even close to what it used to be. And that's where we get these projections for this team where offense might not be that good. Defense has not shown us anything and lost guys like Chandler Jones. Why should we put this team above 500 at this point based on what we've seen? Speaking of weird, what do you make of these reports about Jimmy Garoppolo just ghosting the 49ers in the in the offseason? Like, he, like they, they, can't, they can't find him on people texting him and he doesn't text back. What's going on with Jimmy in San Francisco? Well, I mean, I don't know what's going on with Jimmy, but like, I mean, this sounds like it came from the Shanahan family tree. Uh, and there's two things. First of all, you're trying to trade the guy. This might not be the time. Uh, if you're trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, saying he's not going to return your calls or texts, is not going to get you the high pick you're hoping for. And, and secondly, again, it, you know, if a quarterback is just disappearing in the offseason, that's a problem. If he's doing it for four years and you never find a resolution for it and all you are is sort of passive-aggressive about it and then you rip him out the back door, that's your problem. 
Isn't that your problem? I mean, you're the boss. You're the you're the GM. You're the owner. You're the coach. You know, he goes to you come in. He comes in on the first day of training camp. You call him in for a meeting and you talk to him about it. Say, hey, we're going to do once a week check ins on Zoom or something like that. We expect you to show up for it. You solve that problem if you're the boss. This isn't Tom Brady who can tell you what he's going to do. This is Jimmy Garoppolo. You solve that. So I don't know what's going on. But if this is like the Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch way of making a guy look bad, it kind of ricochets back on them because it makes them look like drama junkies and a little bit silly. Is he going to be around the team? Like what, what's, the, what's the plan for him there? Up until this anonymous rip job, it sounded like they were comfortable you know, sort of having him in the facility a little bit. He's not going to play whatever. He's clearly you know, behind plexiglass waiting for a potential trade partner. Now, if, if it's this, you know, going out the back door, if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo and his agent, it's like I, I, he, he doesn't deserve it. He shouldn't be there. He doesn't want to be there. You guys don't want him there. This is just a toxic situation. So I'm not even sure if day-to-day he's in the building right now. And, again, it's foolish. when You have, you have a situation where the Cleveland Browns tomorrow could get a year-long suspension for Deshaun Watson and pick up the phone. Yeah. You should not be creating an unnecessary drama with Jimmy Garoppolo. Is that the most obvious landing spot now, Cleveland? Especially yeah, since you know, Zach Wilson's injury isn't doesn't seem to be you know that bad. Yeah, you know what? It's so obvious right now, and also it's like a fun thing to, for me to say. And then if you try to look at the salary cap implications and the trade implications, it's really hard for Cleveland that just traded everything for Watson that just gave a lot of money to Watson, although some of it's back ended to turn around and say, oh, we have leftover trade, you know, trade draft capital and stuff like that for Garoppolo, it's a lot trickier to do than to say. But you're right, the Jets were one of the things that rose to the top. That could still, something like that could still happen. That's the problem this time of year, is that there's not a lot of suitors. Even the Seahawks are looking like we're going to ride or die with these two and then take our chances of 2023. It's going to be hard to get value. 49ers are going to wait for that injury, I think, and see if they can get value. When are we going to get a resolution on the Deshaun Watson situation? I had an epiphany this morning that the real holdup here is billable hours. You know, every time Roger Goodell like hires an outside consultant, attorney, legal firm, et cetera, that attorney, legal firm, and all of that person's assistants and paralegals and everything like that, you know, they, they start licking their chops at all the hours they can bill to the NFL's account. So I have no idea. You know, the joke answer would be, you know, when's Labor Day weekend? When's that start? The, the, the 2nd of, uh, of uh, September at right. 4.59 p.m. when we're all trying to go down the, to the beach or whatever, that's when they're going to do it. But I, the, the two holdups here are the NFL – pretending to be doing like this really like in-depth analysis here so that if they're challenged in court, like, Oh no, we did due diligence on this. And the fact that the people that they bring in to be their special, you know, designees and consultants are probably getting a, a nice big fat check for it and have to justify all of those hours. Mike, we always appreciate it. Thanks for taking some time to chat with us today. We'll talk soon. <laughs> always a pleasure. Take care and enjoy the game tonight. Thank you. That is Mike Tannier from football outsiders getting us caught up in everything happening around the NFL. The other thing that uh, (laughs) the news breaking this morning, which is pretty interesting is, so they're doing joint practices, uh, Carolina and new England, which they do, you know, NFL teams doing the preseason, not having fun down there uh, in, I think it's actually in Foxborough that they're doing the practices, like multiple fights broke out, scuffles, as they say, punches thrown and a fan who I guess was on the sideline actually, Got hit with a helmet in one of the scuffles. Oh, really? <laughs> Had a bit of an injury. Those things are heavy too. <laughs> yeah. 
So, like, not just, uh, you know, pushing and shoving. There appears to be legitimate uh, bad blood developing between the Panthers. I saw Canadian uh, running back Chuba Hubbard was ejected from the practice for for throwing a punch. So, I, I don't know what's going on down there. I think maybe the Pats are just taking out their frustrations that their offense appears to be in complete shambles based mm-hmm. on every report from training camp and preseason that we're hearing. Joint practice, though? Joint practice? Joint practices really? are weird. Yeah. You mentioned that in hockey. Yeah. <laughs> like, just yeah. call it a scrimmage. Like, honestly. <laughs> Joint practice. Just the term. I know. Just makes me feel And weird. it's like, don't you kind of expect something like this to develop in a physical game? What did you think was going to happen? You know, it's same same in hockey. Yeah. Exactly. Wouldn't Isn't this exactly what you're, you're anticipating at a certain point? You can't play a beer league game without having fights break out. Like, <laughs> you think the NFL star athletes are going to just... Take it easy for a joint practice. I don't know. Yeah, no, it is. A, it is always a little bit odd. Um, so, as we mentioned with uh, Mike Tanier, if you were interested in watching Drew Locke start for the Seahawks tonight in their exhibition game, you're out of luck because Drew Locke has COVID nineteen, and uh, Seahawks coach Pete Carroll was saying that uh, Drew Locke was feeling so sick on Tuesday that he quote unquote barely made it off the practice field. Uh, he was dragging Carol added, uh, we were going to do post-practice work beside it, but decided, no, let's get him out of here. Um, it's unfortunate for the Seahawks in that I'm sure they wanted to give Drew Locke at least the opportunity to go out there and see what he can do with the starting group against the starting defense. Um, but it just looks more and more like Geno Smith is going to be the guy that's going to be the starting quarterback for the Seahawks, and he'll have to play badly enough, I suppose, for Drew Locke yeah. to get a shot. Yeah, which which is uh, fine. I you know oh, honestly, it's fine. Yeah, it but looks- Drew Locke versus Russell Wilson in Week One would have been interesting from a narrative yeah. perspective. Um, I don't know if it would have gone well for the Seahawks from a narrative perspective. Their best chance to win that game might be with Geno Smith, just because. You know, Geno Smith is not, he's never going to be an elite quarterback, but I think he's more of a complete quarterback than Drew Locke is. Mm -hmm. He's been in the league for a while. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, with Drew Locke, okay, it's frustrating, and now he's going to have to earn the job in the regular season, but it's not as if this is a, you know, high pedigree, blue chip prospect, and you're worried about really messing up their development, right? Like, even in the best case scenario with Drew Locke, as much as the Seahawks have kind of talked themselves into it and they believe in it, mm-hmm. it's still a bit of a long shot that he's your your franchise quarterback going forward, right? So the the, very, sta- very the, the stakes here yeah. are are not that high. Realistically, when the Seahawks want to compete again, I mean, they always want to compete, but when they're ready to truly be competitive again, it's probably going to be with the quarterback who is not on the roster yet. I do find it interesting that you're starting to see a lot of people really talk up this latest draft class and say, oh, Seattle's actually... Okay, the quarterback situation is pretty ugly, yep. but they're actually on to something mm-hmm. with the rest of the roster. And as Mike said, why did you do all those weird picks? And what was going on with those weird picks late in the Russell Wilson era? Yeah, their drafting felt. I mean, it was, I don't want to tie everything back to the Canucks, but the Canucks drafting. But when, let's do it. When, but, but the Canucks drafting when they were good was not very good. Mm-hmm. And people, um, I don't want to say people completely ignored it. But they kind of overlooked it, right? Because they had bigger, they had bigger fish to fry. They had actual games that were important. The Canucks were playing big games. Yeah, yeah. So this guy isn't really panning out. Oh well, the Canucks—they're good. They'll figure, they'll, they'll figure something out. And then you chip away at a team long enough, you lose a veteran here, 
you lose a veteran there. This guy gets a little bit older. This guy runs into some injury issues. And then all of a sudden, when you desperately need the supply of players, and I know it's different in hockey compared to NFL. Like, it is very different. Because in hockey, you draft a guy and you develop him in the mm-hmm. minors. So mm-hmm. you, sometimes, you know, you, you're not even developing in the minors. That comes like two years after you've drafted him. So the whole process is different. But the key is to keep drafting yeah. difference makers in both situations, where wherever you're drafting. where And it's hard. Obviously, it's hard to do that, especially when you're not getting the top five picks or whatever because you're a good team. But you have to find a way. Otherwise, you're going to be a bad team one day, and yeah. it's going to be hard to come back. Now, the Seahawks are kind of in the wilderness right now. We all know in the NFL now, and this has probably always been the case, but it's more pronounced now. If you do not have an elite quarterback, it is really hard to win. Mm-hmm. Like, really hard. I know Drew Stafford. I don't think anyone would sit there and go, like, oh, he's the best of the best, but he's a good quarterback. And that Rams team was absolutely loaded with talent. Right? That That's how much talent you have to assemble to have a. How would you classify I, Drew Stafford? He, Matt, he's, Matt Stafford. Matt's, not, sorry. Not, not former Matt Buffalo Stafford, Saber, not Drew Stafford. Stafford. Not Drew Stafford. <laughs> Matt Stafford. <laughs> yeah. I, he is, he's not in the top tier, but he's in that yeah. second tier, I would say. Yeah. And he's very good, to be fair. I, I do think he got a little bit underrated later in his career in Detroit. You, you saw the upgrade it was going from Jared Goff, right, to, to Matthew Stafford and how he was able yeah. to unlock that. But he's not Mahomes, Josh right. Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. He's not in that category, but he's just a step below. He's that. not just a game manager. Like no, he can make no, no, plays. No, he can make real plays. He, yeah. He can push the ball downfield. He can make plays. We got some texts in. Uh man, it's going to be a long year for the Seahawks. Get Rourke to play in both <laughs> leagues. Maybe that's a storyline we should be following. Maybe Nathan, there was maybe Na- Nathan Rourke to the Seahawks. Did we get a Seahawks scout up to BC Place. That would be a fantastic story. They're they're keeping an eye on this guy in their uh, in their backyard. That would be very interesting. Or hey, may- they have or, a need. Or maybe Drew Stafford. Like, you ha- haven't tried them. I haven't tried them. What's coming up next? Uh, coming up next, Adam Stanley, golf analyst uh, here. Uh, we will join us on Halford and Bruff. As we talked about a little bit yesterday, the players-only meeting led by Tiger Woods of the some of the top players on the PGA to kind of strategize, talk about the live tour, uh, some of the things the PGA might be able to do to... I don't know, strengthen themselves against Liv. We'll talk about all of that. Plus the BMW championship gets going today, uh, the next stage of the FedEx Cup playoffs. So lots to get into of Adam Stanley. That's coming up next. Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650 on a Thursday here. I'm Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. We're going to be joined momentarily by Adam Stanley here to talk about some of the latest developments, interesting developments in the world of golf and also the BMW Championship and the FedEx Cup playoffs and we now do have Adam Stanley longtime golf journalist on the line here Adam thanks very much for doing this how are you no problem I'm uh, I'm doing great how are you we're doing very well and it is a uh, a really fascinating time in the world of golf and the big news this week you know beyond obviously the tournament that's happening and starting 
today was the the players only meeting between some of the top players on the PGA Tour and of course Tiger Woods uh flew in specially to Delaware to be a part of that meeting you know we haven't heard a ton of details uh, about exactly what was said what they talked about but reports seem to be that they felt it was a pretty positive meeting what was your kind of reaction just to that whole story and, and Tiger Woods involvement in it yeah i mean i think the the big thing that can't be ignored is that Tiger Woods got on a plane. He came from Florida to Delaware and he was present. He was there. He was this authoritative figure that didn't just come in on a video chat. Uh, He was there. And there was a moment of like, wow, this is serious. You know, the the players who were asked about it uh, yesterday obviously didn't get too uh, into the actual discussion, but what they all said and what they all agreed on was, you know, when Tiger Woods walks into a room, he, he is the alpha in the room. And, and when Tiger Woods believes in something, when, when he has something to say or when he has an opinion about the state of the game and the future of the game, we're, we're all going to listen. Justin Thomas, I think, said it best. Um, you know, if Tiger Woods doesn't believe in something, it, it, it's not going to have legs. If Tiger Woods, you know, wants to do X, Y, or Z, then you better believe that the best golfers in the world are also going to do X, Y, or Z because – all of those guys have become the best golfers in the world because of Tiger Woods. So uh, it certainly sounds like he wasn't, you know, just kind of a a figurehead to listen, maybe say a few things and then jump on his plane and and get back. Uh, It sounds like the meeting lasted for uh, a good chunk of the afternoon, multiple hours. Uh, Tiger brought ideas. He listened to ideas. He was going to be kind of the conduit between Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, uh, and, you know, the top 20, 25 players in the world who were all at the meeting as well. So uh, it's very significant that Tiger Woods was there in person, uh, even more significant to see what's going to happen next, because basically everybody who was at the meeting said some semblance of the same thing. Tiger Woods is our guy. Uh, He's leading this charge, and whatever he says, whatever he does, uh, we're going to follow along, and and we're going to be excited about that. Why do you think Tiger Woods is taking the lead on this? Uh, I think because, you know, it's a good question, but there's really only been a handful of authoritative figures in golf in the last, you know, century or so. Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer being the other ones, and now Tiger Woods. And I think Tiger has always been a legacy guy he's always been the one to chase jack nicholas's major championship record he's always been the guy to chase sam sam sneed's pga tour wins record uh he's always kind of just been somebody who is constantly working hard on his game he wants to earn all those victories he wants to earn all those records uh and and this new uh, rival series the saudi-backed live golf invitational series is you know kind of a glorified hit and giggle for a lot of money. And and it basically goes against everything that Tiger Woods has ever stood for with respect to professional golf and winning and earning trophies and earning money that comes along with having success. So uh, to see this take away from uh, what he's built his legacy on, certainly with respect to his on-course accomplishments, uh, I think he takes it a little bit personal. And also it seems like him and Greg Norman, they don't get along. And, and I think that that's a big kind of personal, not vendetta per se, but a lot of the guys who are on kind of the establishment, the PGA Tour side of things, don't really like Greg Norman and, and what he's trying to do here. 
Greg Norman is such an interesting character. I mean, it, it just right from the start of the, of his childhood, really, when you you heard the stories about how his his dad didn't really want him to be a professional golfer, and he had to stand up to his dad, and how that's kind of been a chip on his shoulder. It seems like his entire life, he's got uh, just a history of broken relationships, including one with with Jack Nicholas. Um, what is it that drives Greg Norman here? Like what, what, because it's clearly something that's more than money, although money is important, but for Greg Norman, it seems like it's such an ego thing here. Oh yeah. (laughs) I think, I think you kind of nailed it with that. I mean, there's no, no denying whatsoever that Greg Norman is, is, and was an amazing golfer, multiple major champion. Uh, he's won hundreds of times around the world. Uh, number one golfer in the world for hundreds and hundreds of weeks. Did he throw away a lot of other opportunities to win majors? Yes, he did. Uh, but he'll go down in history as, as one of the best to ever do it. I, I think now maybe he just hasn't been been listened to. I mean, this is the second time that he's tried to start this kind of global golfing tour. I mean, he tried it in uh, in the mid-90s as well, and, and that didn't work. Uh, now he's found sort of a, a funding partner uh, in the Saudi government to, to basically get this whole idea off the ground to try to come up with some kind of global tour. Uh, and so, you know, that's part of it. Maybe he's really trying to do what's best for golf in his native Australia as well, having been ignored by the PGA Tour for so long. And, and he's trying to bring some of the best golfers in the world down there to play events and to try to drive more interest and awareness in the game uh, back home in Australia. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, he, he's the figurehead. He's the guy that's doing all the talking. He's in the news. He's on the cover of the magazines. You know, this is Greg Norman's tour. Uh, so, yeah, this is a this is a big time ego play for him, for sure. Do you think it's it's a bit about ego for Tiger in that maybe Tiger, I'm not saying Tiger's legacy is threatened, but if the majors going forward are watered down or affected or considered lesser, in any way, or the Ryder Cup is considered lesser in any way going forward, that kind of puts, I I don't know, does that affect Tiger's accomplishments where maybe it's easier to win a major going forward and and, and Tiger wants to continue these majors to be really difficult to win because he's won 14 of them. Yeah, yeah, right. I think, you know, it's it's a fascinating question about who, Tiger Woods is and and what it is that he wants and and you know nobody really knows sort of that answer but yeah if the majors get watered down moving forward um, then I I I personally don't think that Tiger's wins will be judged against sort of anyone else other than the era in which he won them sort of not unlike you know Jack Nicholas's 18 majors were only really judged in the era in which he won them so the major championships, and I think certainly the Masters is probably the big question. We haven't really heard much from Augusta National Golf Club and what they're going to do moving forward. The British Open, the U.S. Open, of course, this uh, this year already came out and said we're not going to ban the guys because they already qualified via our existing qualification. So if that kind of holds true moving forward, then we're still going to see a bunch of the live guys teeing up there. Uh, a bunch of the live guys are former Masters champions, so they, of course, have the, the ongoing um, never-ending exemption into playing uh, at Augusta National as well. So what will they do by the time we get to April certainly remains to be seen. And, and yeah, I think you know Tiger wants to keep the major championships 
to be the best on best as, as much as possible. Um, and whether or not these guys are going to be allowed to play in them moving forward is, is kind of the, the big question. Obviously, there's these two fact, factions of tours, the PGA Tour and the Live Tour, um, but what will the major championships look like and, and how will they be judged as we move forward, certainly with respect to field strength? Uh, I think is something that uh, the whole of the golf world is is navigating right now. We're, I should say fifteen majors, by the way, fifteen. Not, I, I forgot about that last one, which was which was pretty good. He did snag one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he got that last. He got one. that one. Yeah. Uh, we're in conversation with Adam Stanley here, talking PGA and Live on Sportsnet six fifty. And uh, you know, again, we haven't really heard any of the concrete suggestions or ideas that came out of the the players meeting on the PGA realistically, what are the things the PGA can do to make it more attractive for players to stay? Does it all simply come down to money and trying to increase the purses to uh, to kind of stave off the attraction and the lure of the big money from Liv? Yeah, I mean, if it if it is a money-on-money money situation, the PGA Tour is going to lose. And and Jay Monaghan came out and said sort of as such, if, if we were in a war uh, and the only ammunition we had was money, we would lose because essentially – the live golf invitational series, they have unlimited money. You know, you can, you can call it eventually it, it may, you know, run out in terms of what the Saudi government wants to spend its money on, but they have an unlimited well of cash and the PGA tour does not. So if it's just money, that's not going to happen. Maybe there's something to do with the schedule. Maybe there's something to do with alternative tournament formats. Maybe there's something to do uh, with the media rights and kind of the ownership that the players have over you know their own stuff as as individuals versus everything having to go back to the PGA Tour as, as a umbrella entity. Um, are there going to be more opportunities to see uh, some other kind of team stuff happening throughout the year? Um, you know, versus just every single week. Is there going to be an opportunity uh, to get some of the guys off the Corn Ferry Tour who have proven to be PGA Tour caliber players to get up there faster? So then the competition is even better because we've got guys who are you know right out of college they just got on the corn ferry tour but they won twice and now they're going to compete against the best in the world on the pga tour i think there's a ton of different options that are going to be on the table uh, alternative formats for sure has to be one of them uh, access to the players or um you know access to to the to the on-site uh, events so then people who are at home can tune in more and care more about the guys i think are going to be something to look out for um, but honestly the level of competition on the pga tour remains as good as ever i mean look at last week certainly some concerns through 36 or 54 holes uh that somebody like brian Harmon was going to win that tournament uh but will zalatoris and sep straka who is you know a bit of a no-name uh they put on maybe the best playoff of, of the year last week and 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 they were playing for something and will zalatoris was incredibly emotional by the time we got to Sunday night and he had won that multi-hole playoff. And, uh, you know, if there's if there's nothing to play for other than just money, which is what we're seeing on the Live Tour, you're just not going to get those moments. Jay Monahan, the commissioner, uh, there's been a lot of criticism of how he has handled this Live Golf situation. Maybe he didn't appreciate how willing players would be to leave the PGA Tour for the Live Golf what is the future of his leadership? Yeah, I mean, there seem to be some rumors floating around on social media that um, Tiger was going to be coming in and, and stepping in as the commissioner of the PGA Tour. And, and I think the Jay Monaghan uh, era, I don't think is under is under threat, but it's certainly under siege. And I think that the 
the unique thing on the Jay Monahan side of things is that that dude has had a real tough two or three years. I mean, you don't sign on to become the commissioner to navigate through a global pandemic. Uh, certainly nobody in any job signed on to, to have to work their way through that. But that was a big thing. Um, you know, the, the schedule change, the, and now this, and, you know, basically comes right out of the pandemic and has to, uh, and has to deal with a, a threat to the PGA tour never seen before. So uh, would a, would a different leader be doing something totally different as it stands right now? I'm, I'm not too sure. Is some of the criticism of Jay Monahan's efforts to this point warranted? Yeah, I would say so. He seemed to think that it was just going to go away or the, the legacy, again, to use that word, the legacy of the PGA Tour would be enough to hang uh, guys on to longer. Uh, certainly that, uh, that didn't end up happening either. Um, the good news for Jay Monaghan is that the guys who have stayed loyal to the Tour are guys that everyone's going to want to tune into to watch week after week. And he has Tiger Woods under his umbrella, and they don't. And I think that that is just going to have to be a card that he continues to play now and moving forward. Would I be surprised if Jay Monahan is not the commissioner of the PGA Tour in the next five years or so? Yeah, but could I also see the other side of it where you know he gets through this? Maybe he names somebody as as an assistant uh, commissioner for the first time in the in the tour's history. Uh, is somebody like like a Tiger Woods just for the sake of having that figurehead in front of the tour? Yeah, 100%. So, again, Jay's done some good things. He's done some probably not so good things. Um, but having Tiger on his side is, is inevitably going to be um, a card that he's going to have to keep playing now and moving forward. If Cameron Smith goes to live, is that a game changer in a way? Is that is that a guy that, like, let, let's face it, a lot of the players yeah. that have gone to the Live Golf Tour, they've either been old and their primes are behind them and they're like, well, I'll just take this payday because I'm, you know, I, I've yeah. already had my moment. You know, like guys like Mickelson or Poulter or Westy, these guys, um, they're guys, a lot of guys were not particularly well-liked, like Patrick Reed, not a fan favorite. And we can get into his story in just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Na, you know, like not a fan favorite. Bryson DeChambeau took some abuse on the PGA Tour. Um, there are, they're, they're almost these players or, or even the young players that, that, that had like Matt Wolf. Well, he looked good early on, but then he was struggling. So maybe he was thinking, oh, I'll go take the guaranteed money because it might not be there for me on the PGA Tour. Long question, I know, but is Cameron Smith, would that be different? Different, yes. Game changer, I don't, I don't know. I, the, the big thing is that Cam Smith won the PGA Tour's Crown Jewel Tournament, the Players' Championship, earlier this year. And if he's not on the PGA Tour next year, it's going to make, some, make for some very uncomfortable marketing conversations. That is 100% accurate. And it's going to be even more awkward if he ends up winning the FedEx Cup in a couple of weeks. Uh, and, and that's the, the other tour or the other crown jewel of the tour. Uh, and then he just presses the eject button. So um, he's also 28 years old. He's ranked second in the world. He's certainly hitting his prime right now. So a big get for the, for the Live Golf Series. I don't, it's a big get for Live. I don't know if it's as big a loss for the PGA Tour as some folks make it out to be. I, I truly think that the PGA Tour, for better or for worse, is a North American sports entity. And when it comes to you know, driving the interest of corporate America, uh, driving the interest of the, of the game as a whole from sort of a club level 
uh, as long as the best players in the world or, or a grander collection of them decide to stay on the PGA Tour, no matter what sort of the, the global uh, spectrum of the game looks like on, on the other side, uh, the PGA Tour is still going to come out on, on top. So, yeah, if the number two ranked player in the world isn't playing on the PGA Tour, it's going to be weird. Uh, it's going to be a great get for the marketing of the Live Tour that the PGA Tour still despite the fact that he won the players and the FedEx cup, hypothetically, he still didn't want to stay over there. He wanted to do something different. Uh, but I think that kind of speaks to the personality of Cameron Smith. He, he was never really one that cared about legacy. And you look at all the other guys who are on the live series, even Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson, you know, they, they never really cared about golf or, or caring about, uh, about working and digging it out of the dirt. Yeah. They worked hard and they won a bunch of majors, but it was never really something that they, were incredibly motivated to do. Ken Smith kind of fits that mold as well. So, um, yeah, big get for the Live Tour. I don't know if it's going to be as impactful to the PGA Tour and its viewership, uh, but I think pretty impactful to its marketing department, at least for next year. The Patrick Reed lawsuit against the Golf Channel and Brandel Chambly, uh, the claim is that the two entities conspired uh, with the PGA Tour to defame him uh, $750 million is what Patrick Reed is seeking in damages. When you heard this news, did you laugh? Did you cry? Did you just roll your eyes? Uh, I laughed and then I, I rolled my eyes and then laughed because, um, ridiculous, right? $750 million. Uh, where, where did you find that? That's pretty bonkers. I'm pretty sure the, I was reading on Twitter yesterday that the lawyer who is now representing Patrick Reed last month or last year, like sued the PGA tour as a fan because he thought that the PGA tour, like wasn't doing what wasn't doing enough for the fans or something like that. So yeah, the guy who Patrick Reed is getting as a representative is, you know, having some of his own problems. Uh, And I don't really know what this is going to do for Patrick Reed other than just add to his, um, you know, almost caricature of, 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 of an individual, you know, I want to play less golf. I want to spend time with my family and yet I'm going to go to play three Asian tour of events in the middle of the summer instead of playing in Memphis and Delaware. Like, okay, weird. Uh, the golf channel Brandel Chambly has made me out to be a cheater. Well, here's a couple of videos showing that you were doing just that. I want to get $750 million from the golf channel. Dude, what are you thinking? So yeah, more of a laugh, more of an eye roll than anything. And kind of just like a a, a shoulder shrug as well. Just be like, this guy, this guy can't get out of his own way. Uh, Adam, before we let you go, BMW Championship is underway right now. Who do you like to uh, to make some noise this weekend? I think you got to look at Will Zalatoris and you got to look at Tony Finau. I think not unlike any other sport, the playoffs are all about momentum uh, yeah, people are still struggling to understand what this format is, what the FedEx Cup playoffs actually are. But what it is, truthfully, is you get the best players from the season that was all up against each other in, in, in three tournaments. And it's great to watch. And you've got to think that Tony Finau, having won two tournaments leading into the FedEx Cup playoffs, and then I think he finished tied for fifth last week, is a guy that you got to watch out for. And then Will Zalatoris, you know, he had struggled mightily with his putter, but it was his putting uh, that won him the tournament last week. Uh, and I think those two guys have all the momentum on their side. Uh, definitely two guys to uh, to take a look out for this week as the PGA Tour heads to uh, Delaware for the first time ever. Adam, always appreciate it. Thanks very much. Enjoy the golf this weekend. 
No worries, guys. Thank you. That is Adam Stanley joining us here to chat about Live and the PGA uh, and everything happening in golf here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I get the sense he's not impressed by the Patrick Reed lawsuit. <laughs> that was the vibe I was getting there from Adam Stanley. The Patrick Reed lawsuit is hilarious to me in that, first of all, from what I've read, it's got very little yeah. chance of success. But for Patrick Reed, it makes him look worse. It's bizarre because sometimes... Why would he choose to do this? Sometimes there are lawsuits where, okay, you're probably not going to win, but it's about PR, you're positioning yourself, you want to prove a point. Principle. Something like that. Yeah. What's what's the principle here? There, mm-hmm. It's not going to make him look good. It's not... It's, all it does is remind people of uh, all the things that of you can... Of him cheating. Of, of, of making, making fun of Patrick Reed, essentially. Yes. It's just another invitation to make up to for everyone to make fun of you. And... It, it's it just makes him look ridiculous more yeah. than anything else. It doesn't. Oh, no one's gonna be scared of making fun of Patrick Reed now. It makes him look like a joke, like more of a joke than people already thought. Yeah. Oh, I might get sued. Um, we're gonna have to do what we learns in the yep. segment coming up. So here's a rush request. Yes, get, get, get him in right away now to the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty six fifty. That's because at eight. 30, we're going to have a, uh, a little short chat with Jovan Buha from The Athletic. Uh, he covers the LA Lakers. Uh, LeBron contract extension with the Lakers. Beyond that, though, what are the Lakers going to do? How likely is LeBron to win another championship mm-hmm. with the Lakers? Is he holding on? Uh, not holding. He's still a really good player. Is he going to hold on long enough to play with his son? Would that be with the Lakers? Uh, All sorts of questions uh, about the Lakers right now and LeBron James. But first, it's what we learned in the next segment of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.